Good morning. If you will take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 119. I have the honor and joy this morning of taking us across the finish line of this study that we have done through this longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. We diverted, if you'll remember back, um, and I'm so very thankful for this. I'm so very thankful for um, Gerald's sensitivity to the Spirit and just his wisdom and changing our course back in March um, when we began to meet remotely, when we were reacting to COVID. And um, we had just begun, if you will remember, a study through the book of Ephesians. And studying Ephesians is worthwhile. Nothing wrong with that. It's a very good thing. But uh, just in Gerald praying through it, um, just sensing the Spirit to lead us to kind of divert off that track and begin to look at some of the Psalms of Lament. And for several weeks we did that, looked at Psalms of Lament and how timely that was for me. I can just speak for me, but how timely it was for me, just realizing that because of my context, because of my personality, because who I am shaped to be, I really don't know what it is to lament. And so it was good for me just to pause in the midst of all these cultural storms that were raging, this pandemic that was bearing down on us, um, just to look through those psalms of lament and see um, how we are to face that, how we are to worship through that, and how God is good through it all. Um, We then moved to some of the psalms of ascent as we looked to the day that we would come back together and worship together. And we looked at some of those psalms in anticipation of coming back together as God's people to worship together again. And it's been a good year for me to not take this for granted. Amen. This is essential to us. This is important to us. It's vital to us. And so those psalms of ascent kind of prepared our hearts to come back together in corporate worship, and then for Gerald to lead us through this study of Psalm 119. And I remember when he first brought it up to me in the office, um, to, to JT and I, just, you know, what, what, would, what would you think about us going through Psalm 119? And I know that he has shared with you just the hesitation there, not because we can preach through God's Word, um, but some, some texts are harder than others, okay? It's harder to do exposition through some texts than it is others. Um, and our idea at the beginning of this or a hesitation was Psalm 119 is so, so cyclical. It's all about God's word. You know, um, how hard is it going to be every week to make application? And for me, I'm writing our life group questions. I'm thinking, how hard is it going to be to come up with new questions as we're focusing on the same theme all the way throughout? And so there was some hesitation there, but I'm thankful that Gerald was obedient in doing it because it has been anything or anything but redundant for me. It has been good and it has been rich just to be confronted week after week of the goodness of God's word. And I pray that during this season it has driven us back to the word. And so as Gerald asked me this week to to preach, to bring this final message, I was thinking about how we would wrap this up if we would just look at verses 169 through 176, you know, how we how we might do that and just thinking through the fact that. All throughout this study, we have been called to respond in just so many different ways to God's word. I was thinking back and I did a little a little practice for myself, I believe, on Tuesday morning of this week, where I just got out all my sermon notes from this entire set, um, entire preaching series. And I started to work back through them and work back through each stanza in Psalm 119. And what I was trying to do, what I set out to do was write 
a summary response statement for each one of these messages, for each one of these stanzas. And for a few minutes this morning, I want to walk us through that. Okay? Some of you are like, whoa, we're going to go all the way back through Psalm 119. Let me tell you this, okay? Don't try to write these down because we're going to go too fast for that, okay? Um, I have put them up on PowerPoint. Let's see if that works. And hopefully, if you're at home watching this on the stream, we'll have that up on the screen there as well. Um, but we're going to walk through them, and because we're going to be going so quickly through them, I'm going to put them on the screen so you can see them. And then later today, I will post them for you. And if you still would like to have them, then I will be happy to send them to you. But all this is is me kind of going back through my own sermon notes, through the things that stood out to me, and trying to summarize each one of these stanzas just in a statement of response. Okay? So what I'm going to do is we're going to work back through. If you want to go to the beginning of Psalm 119, and I'll read, I'm not going to read all the text. I might pull out a verse or two that, that stood out during that study and then just read my statement of, of response and we'll just move through in that way. Okay? Before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. So Father, we do that today. We thank you for your word. God, we are reminded through this study the, of the depths of your word, of the richness of your word, the riches of it, Lord. Um, God, what a beautiful reminder it was um, last week or the week before when we were confronted with the idea that if we are diligent in um, digging into your word, we come out with great spoil. We come out with great treasure, great riches that you meet us in your word. Your word is your gift to us where you reveal yourself to us, Lord. And I pray that you would you would shape us into people of your word. And God, I pray that that would be the fruit of this study. God, that as we have spent these weeks just looking into the depths of your word, that we would not be satisfied there. That, Lord, we would only taste and see that it is good. Taste and see that you are good in it. So, Father, I pray that that would be the response of our heart. Lord, be with us today as we walk through this final stanza, as we revisit this journey that we have been on through this study. Lord, I pray that we would bless you in that. And, God, we thank you for the way that you will use your word today to convict us, Lord. Uh, to work in our hearts. And, Father, I pray that we would be faithful to respond to you as you lead us to through your spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We start back in verses 1 through 8 in the Aleph section. In the first two verses there, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with their whole heart. My response for that section is I, want to de- I desire for my ways to be steadfast, in keeping your statutes as I praise you with an upright heart. And we are reminded at the end of this stanza that we will praise him with an upright heart as we learn his righteous rules, as we embody them, as we as we internalize his rules. Then will we be able to respond to him in praise with an upright heart. We go to the bet section and Isaiah, you're going to have to do this because my clicker is not working, man. Sorry about that. The bet section is verses nine through sixteen. Look at verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A response can be, I will seek you with my whole heart and set my heart and affections on your word because I know that by it you will guard my heart and lead me into life. In the next section, the Gimel section, verses 17 through 24, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. There's a statement of dependency there. Lord, I need you to open my eyes that I may see these wonderful things in your law that reveal to me who you are. Verse 24, your statutes are my delight. 
They are my counselors. The response there, I will lean into your word for counsel as I sojourn through this life. And I will trust you alone as I face brokenness and strife. That rhymed. I didn't realize that until just now. Don't look for that in all of them. Okay. The next section is the Dalit section, verses 25 through 32. Verse 25, the psalmist says, I cling to the dust. That's his context. I cling to the dust. He says, preserve my life according to your word. Later, he says, strengthen me according to your according to your word. My statement of resolve, I will resolve to run in the way of God's will as I cling to him for life and strength. No matter what situation I'm in, no matter what storm bears down on my life, I will resolve to run in the way of God's will as I cling to him for life and strength because I can't do that alone. The next section is the hay section. Verses 33 through 40. Verse 34 begins, give me understanding. There's a recognition there that I can read the word. I can spend time in the word, but I need you, O God, to give me understanding. That couples with verse 35, direct me in the path of your commandments. uh, For there I find delight. I don't want to just know your word, O Lord. I want you to point me in the direction of living my life in rhythm with your word. So that I can know life. And because I know that life is found there, I find delight in your word because of how it leads me and how it teaches me, how it instructs me. My statement of resolve, I will abide in the Lord so that I may receive understanding in keeping his law and observe it with my whole heart. The next section is the Vav section. Verses 41 through 48. Verse 43 says, never take your word of truth from my mouth. For I have put my hope in your laws. Verse 45, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will place my hope in the promises of your word and walk in freedom as I obey your commandments. As I walk and live in accordance with his word, it brings freedom because it's in rhythm with what he intends. It's in rhythm with how he has created everything to work. And it's there that I am blessed and there that I experience freedom. It is in rebellion that that freedom is stripped from me and I reap the consequences of what I sow. Next section is the Zion section, verses 49 through 56. Verse 50 says, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Verse 54, your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. Wherever I make my home, your decrees are the theme of my song. My context, my situation, my place geographically does not change the fact that your word is the theme of my song, is the song of my life. And so the response, your word will be the song of my life as I look to it alone as my refuge and comfort through every affliction and season of darkness. How relevant is that to God's people in this day? The next section. Let me say it right. Is the chet section. That's pretty good. If I do say so myself. Verse 57. You are my portion, Lord. Consider that for a moment. You are my portion. How freeing should that be to God's people to be able to say you are my portion. I don't have to find my portion here. I don't have to fight for my portion here. I don't have to look here for it. You are my portion. God, you are my portion. You are my portion, Lord. Verse 59, I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes because you are my portion. Statement of resolve. 
The Lord will be my portion as I walk in the abiding presence of his steadfast love. His love is steadfast. His love is steadfast. How beautiful is that truth for us? The next section is the Tet section. Verses 65 through 72. Verse 68 says, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. I remember Gerald um, challenging us during this section as we were walking through this specific passage. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the Lord is good? Do we believe that his ways are good? Do we believe that everything that happens, he is working to bring it about for his good and for my good as he conforms me to the image of his son? Do we believe that? That's the question that confronts us in the text section. My statement of resolve, I will rest in the goodness of God and choose to look with discernment to see his goodness, to see his goodness, intentionally look for his goodness in all things as I seek to live in rhythm with it. The next section is the Yod section, verses 73 through 80. Verse 74 says, may those who fear you rejoice when they see me. For I've put my hope in your word through this section. We considered what it is to live a testimony of God's goodness through our lives for others to taste and see his goodness. So the resolve here, I will live my life as a validating testimony to his love, his mercy, his faithfulness and his good purposes. The next section is the cough section. Verses 81 through 88, verse 81 says, my soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I've put my hope in your word. My soul longs to see the end of this salvation, to see it completed in me. But I've put my hope in your word because your word reminds me that you will finish what you have started. And the statement of resolve there, I will hope in your word, look to your promise and trust in your love, even as I experience suffering in seasons of dryness and in waiting. The next section is the Lamed section. The Lamed section, verses 89 through 96, it begins with your word, O Lord, is forever fixed in the heavens. It's eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The response here, I will root my life, root my life, deeply into the eternal stability of God's word. We live in a world of shifting sand. Don't we? This is the statement of resolve. I will root my life deeply into the eternal stability of God's word, looking to it alone as sufficient for life, sufficient through suffering and sufficient to provide spiritual liberty to my soul. It's the Lamed section. The next section is the main section. The main section from verses 97 through 104, verse 103, we really focused on that verse that week as our pastor gave us a, a physical representation of verse 103. If you'll remember how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We considered during that uh, during that message, during looking at this at this passage, we considered what it was like to for our taste buds to come in line with the taste of God. You remember that? How we long for and want what God wants, aligning our hearts with God's heart. So the statement of response, I will trust in your word to provide the wisdom and understanding I need to align my heart and my tastes 
with my father so that I may live in a manner fully pleasing to him. We cannot live in a manner fully pleasing to him unless our hearts are aligned with his heart. Unless we come to know what he sees as good, what he sees as right, until we begin to align our hearts with his heart, we will not be able to live in such a way. The next section is the noon section, verses 105 through 112. Maybe the most recognizable verse from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path from verse 105. The response, I will allow God's word to illuminate the path of my life in order to know the way to go. The way through afflictions, the way through danger and the way to worship all in light of that past end in him so that I may live in clarity of his truth. When Christ saves us, when the spirit saves us, he comes rushing into our lives and gives us a new heart and illuminates our heart to see reality. He opens the eyes of our hearts to see him as the ultimate reality. And by understanding and knowing him and growing in that, we begin to see everything else in light of that. He enables us to see what is real. So, Lord, illuminate my path by your word. The next section is the psalmic section. Verses 113 through 120. Verse 113, I hate double-minded people. We considered that Sunday what it meant to be double-minded and how we want to be single-minded in our worship of him, single-minded in our knowing him. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. Verse 120, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in all of your laws. What we focus on is often what we will fear. And the more we focus on God, the more we will fear him alone as the one true holy God. And our response, because I have set God's word as the focus of my heart, I will not allow the distractions of this life to take my eyes off of God or cause me to become double-minded in my worship, devotion, and fear of him Alone. The next section is the Ion section, verses 121 through 128. Actually, we looked at Ion and Pay there. Verse 125 in the Ion section says, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. We considered that week what it meant to be a servant of God's word, what it meant to submit to it in that way. The Pay section, verse 130, the unfolding of your words give light. It it gives understanding to the simple. My statement of response, I will respond to God's word by submitting myself as a servant, being careful to love what is true and hate what is false as I seek understanding through his light and grace. Next is the Tzadi section, verses 137 through 144. Verse 137, you are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. Verse 140, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them in light of God's faithfulness and always being true to his word and faithful to it. The response can look like this. I will look to God alone to know what is right and good. Trusting in his word is that which is always trustworthy and reliable. How good is it that we can go to God's word knowing that it is always trustworthy and reliable because it is given to us by God himself. His word is God breathed to us. The next section is the Kof section, verses 145 through 160. And we looked at Kof and Resh together. Verse 147, the end of that says, I've put my hope in your word. Down in 160, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. 
statement of resolve there, because God's word is proven to be inspired, authoritative, inerrant, and eternal, I will confidently look to it as the source of help, strength, direction, and discernment for my life. And then finally, the seen and sheen portion, verses 161 through 168. Verse 162 says, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. My love for God and for his word will shape my heart, direct my life, and fuel my obedience. Praise God for his word. Praise God for all of these ways that the Spirit has led us to respond to his word during these weeks. But even as we walk through that, see, that wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. It wasn't as long. How good is that, though? Did you pick up on the fact that there is so much variation in there? It's not at all redundant, although the theme runs all the way through it. It's been good for us to arrive at God's word from all of these different vantage points. Right. But we understand in making these statements of resolve that we cannot resolve to do these things in our own strength. Right. And the way that this psalm comes to an end in verses 169 through 176 is very well um, presented as a fourfold prayer of response, a fourfold prayer of response. And that's how we will kind of wrap up our study this morning is looking at all of this because of all of this. Now, what do we do? How should our hearts respond to all of this truth, all of these things about God's word, all of these calls and invitations that we have had to come and taste and see that his word is good. Let's read it together and then we'll walk through it. Beginning in verse 169 there, the Tav section. The word says, let my cry come before you, O Lord, give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth, pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of of your word for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for the salvation, O Lord. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Fourfold praise of response, four responses that the psalmist gives us, four ways that he is responding to what he has written about God's word. And the first one is this, if you want to follow along on your worship guide there, the first one is we should respond with a recognition of complete dependency. We should respond with a recognition of complete dependency. Did you notice the my statements there in verses 169 and 170? Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Do you almost hear a posture in that? Let my cry come before you. Let my plea. It's almost as if we're looking up to God and bringing him this cry, bringing him this plea. It's a posture of dependency. It has the idea of coming before you as in bringing an offering to God. And one commentator said it's as if the cry is the only thing the psalmist has to offer. Have you ever been there? You ever been there? Have you been there recently? The only thing we have to offer God is our cry. And this idea of cry, 
a plea points to need. It points to desperation or help. I need you, Lord. Let my cry come to you. Let my plea come to you. I am needy. In light of all of these resolutions, I'm also confronted with all of my faults, with this continuing battle with sin, the fact that I continue to fall short. No matter how much I resolve, I'm in the middle of the struggle. I can't do it. I need you. Let my cry come to you. And in these first two verses of this section, there is an inward cry for desperation and help and an outward for desperation and help. The first one is an inward one when he says, I need understanding. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. We need understanding. We can read God's word, but his spirit must help us to understand it. What do you think of when you hear this word understanding? What does it mean to understand God's word? There's a great book that I want to commend to you. It's by a lady named Esther Lightcap Meek. Esther Meek. And she is she she writes often about epistemology, which is uh, our understanding of how we know. And I love this book. It's just very little. You can read through it fairly quickly. Um, she's written some bigger ones if it scratches an itch for you. Um, but she teaches on how we come to know what all does knowing entail. And so often we think of knowing as something that we just do with our brains. But here's the truth. The psalmist is saying it's not enough that I just know your word with my brain. I want to understand it. What does that understanding look like? I want you to think about something for just a second. I want you to think if you have been in any kind of a career or a job for a long time, I want you to have that in your mind. I want you to have in your mind maybe a hobby that you have participated in for a long time, something that you have done for a long time. If you have nothing else, think about the time that you learned how to ride a bike. Okay, something that you have done for a long time. And if you'll think back on the beginning of doing that, whether it's your job, whether it's a hobby, whether it's something that you do, whether it's riding a bike, whatever it is. Do you remember at the beginning of that you had all of these questions and you had to focus on every little thing that you were doing because you were just learning how to do it? Do you remember that? And how you were constantly having to consult others, constantly having to consult the manual, constantly having to go outside of yourself, constantly making mistakes. And it seemed like your brain was just overloaded because every little thing that you did, you were constantly having to think about. Right. But there came a time when you no longer had to do that, didn't you? There came a time when you began to embody those motions, embody that knowing and no longer are you really having to think about what you're doing. Some of you go to work and you don't even think all day. You're just doing it. Right. Think about riding a bike. If you've ridden a bike for a long time, are you having to think about pedaling? Are you having to think about you having to you just do it right? Driving a car. How many of you have driven a car and all of a sudden come to yourself and realized you can't remember driving your car for the past five minutes? Right. This is what I believe is the picture of understanding the psalmist wants for us to have. Listen. We need to be people of the word. There is a switch that happens when we no longer know to something, we begin to know from something. And this, I believe, is the type of knowledge that God wants us to have with his word. At the beginning of it, when we're trying to apply everything, we're going to the scriptures. How do I do this? You know, what is this? That's what discipleship looks like, isn't it? 
where we're learning this, we're internalizing God's word to where all of a sudden we're embodying it. I want us to get that idea of embodying God's word. That it's not only enough for us to know about God's word, we're beginning to embody it. We're beginning to live it out as the spirit changes us in grace day by day. Can you get that picture? The problem is I don't think that we abide in it enough sometimes to embody it. Hold up your worship guide for just a second. I'm going to give you yet another commercial for what's on the back side of that thing. Our daily discipleship guide is designed to do that. It's not enough to hear a sermon. It's not enough to just read a passage. Our goal should be to embody God's word, to know it in such a way where we are just living it. And that's what the spirit does within us as we abide in his word. We need his help to do that, but we have to be committed to give the time to do it. That's what it means to be people of the word. That's what it means to be creatures of the word. That all of a sudden we're walking in tune with the spirit. We're walking in line with scripture. That doesn't mean that we can put the scriptures away at a certain point and just do it all ourselves. But are we more and more embodying his word? Are we embodying his will? Are we embodying the kingdom as we live? I think that's what the psalmist is asking. And the need portion of this is we are completely dependent on him for understanding. We are dependent on him to do that within us. That's the inward need that the psalmist expresses. But there's also an outward need. And the outward need is I need deliverance. Look at the next verse there. Verse 170. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. And brothers and sisters, this deliverance was not completely met the day that we received Christ. This is an ongoing need. We continue to battle this alien force that's within us called the flesh if we are in Christ. I call it that because our true identity now is united with Christ, but we continue to battle this flesh as we live here. I continue to combat sin each and every day. I continue to fall short each and every day, and each and every day I need the Lord to deliver me. We need his deliverance every day. We are completely dependent on him for deliverance. Notice how the psalmist upholds God's word as sufficient to meet both needs. Give me understanding according to your word. Give me deliverance according to your word. Deliver me according to your word. Is our response to God's word complete dependency? Do we recognize our need? Does it drive us to abide in God's word? Do you see that need to understand God's word so that you may embody it, live it out? Do you see that need for his deliverance every day, driving you to the word? The second response that we see in this passage, verses 171 through 172, we should respond with enduring praise. And I'm going to read this, but where your version may say for We're going to substitute that with because, because that's the idea here. 171, my lips will pour forth praise because you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word because all your commandments are right. Because there is two purposes here for this response of enduring praise to God. The first one is a purpose of learning. 
because of learning, I praise God. I praise God for the opportunity to learn your word. And look at what the beautiful statement is in verse 171. My lips will pour forth praise because you teach me your statutes. How beautiful is that idea that God teaches us? You teach me. You don't just leave me alone to try to figure it out. God meets us in his word. He meets us there. He teaches us there. He instructs us there. His spirit helps us to understand it, helps us to know how to apply it. And our response is that our lips pour forth or bubble forth praise. This is a a picture of overflow. That as I go to the word and I experience you teaching me your word through the spirit, the overflow then is a praise back to you because you love me enough to instruct me. You love me enough to teach me. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored it up as you have taught me. And now I store it up in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the response of this. And this is especially true for us. That's different than the psalmist. God has given us his spirit. He's given us his spirit. And so when we go to the word, we refer to it as the living Bible, the living word. Why? Because the spirit is active in it. He teaches us through it. He helps us to understand it. He helps us to apply it. And so the question, brothers and sisters, is this. If this is true, that God teaches us, that the Spirit instructs us, if this is true, why would we not daily seat ourselves in his classroom by abiding in his word? What would prevent us from doing that? If the God of the universe wants to meet us here in the word to instruct us, why would we not daily abide there? And I want to say this, too. This is good news for anyone who might say, I can't do Bible study. I'm not smart enough for that. I I don't know all that stuff. I haven't gone to seminary. I I don't know how to. He makes the simple wise. He meets us in his word. It's not up to you. It's not up to your own strength. It's not up to your IQ. It's not up to your intellectual ability. God meets you there and he's ready to instruct you there. And our response to that should be running to it so that we can sit and learn from him and then to praise him for loving us enough to instruct us through his word. But the second response is because of value. The first is learning. The second is Value. Look at verse 172. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. We praise God for the value of his word. We praise him because of the rightness of his word. It's as if the psalmist is saying, I praise you because of the confidence I can have in looking to your word. Do we understand what this word is? Do we understand the truth that is there? Do we understand the promises that are there that we look to it and we already have confidence before we even get there because we know that God is communicating his truth to us? And our response is to praise him for that. We delight in the value of God's word. Look at the the response of the psalmist back in verse five. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Why? Because I delight in them. Because they are good and right. You see, we, we delight not just in what God's word says, but in the truthfulness and rightness of it. In the truthfulness and rightness of it. We know that God's words are right because they flow out of his righteous character and will. 
It is God's revealing himself to us. And it is good and right because he is good and right. I love how one commentator said this. Faith in God's promises is nurtured by concrete tokens of his goodness. Why would we spend days and weeks and months reading back through the Old Testament? Because we are confronted there with concrete tokens of God's goodness. We are reacquainted with this grand story that gives meaning to my story. And we're reminded of how good God is and how faithful he is. That is why God's word is good to us. It reveals that to us. And when we are confronted with those concrete tokens of his goodness, it nurtures God's or our faith in God's promises. It nurtures that because I'm reminded of his faithfulness and his goodness. The third Resolve is found in verses 173 through 174. And it is this. We should respond in humble affection. We should respond in humble affection. Here we see two predispositions. We see Yahweh's predisposition towards us. That's God's predisposition towards us. And we see what should be our predisposition back to God. Listen to it as we read it. 173 through 174. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. The first predisposition we see is God's predisposition, and this is his predisposition. His disposition is ready to act. He is ready to act. It's as if the psalmist says, I've put my trust in your precepts. Because I know you will act in accordance with your word. As we read the word, we are reminded that there is a God who is active in the midst of it that is going to bring it about. It reminds us of who he is. We are confronted again with the faithfulness of God in his word. Brothers and sisters, do you know this? Do we know that? Do our lives proclaim this? Does our posture towards the word proclaim that? That we know that there is a God behind this who is bringing it all about. That he is faithful to do what his word says. Is that our posture towards the word? Next we see the psalmist's disposition and what should be our disposition back to him. His disposition is ready to act. Ours is I long for and delight in you. Because I anticipate your redemption. I will praise you and delight in you. This is a picture of longing for the completion of my salvation. Do we long for that? Do we long for him to complete in us what he has started in us? And as we go to the word, do we go with that longing? I want to be reminded of your goodness. I want to be reminded of this plan that you are weaving together, that you are bringing about, that you are going to be faithful to complete Help me to continue to walk in accordance with that. It's a longing for the completion of my salvation. But it's also a picture of the confidence in his working his salvation out within me now. That I'm not there yet. But he is working. He is there. He is good. And he's using it all to bring me back to himself, it says in 1 Peter. That's the goal of redemption. To bring me back to himself. And so the result is I delight in your law. We've talked about this for a couple of weeks. I've kind of snuck it into your life group questions a couple of times, and I hope that you have talked about it. But it is true that we are not pushed along by what we know. We are pulled about by what we love. It's true. 
How many things do I do and regret immediately despite what I know? We say it like this around here sometimes. People do what they want to do. I do what I want to do. So the question is not what is shaping what I know, what is shaping what I love. And the function of God's word for us as we abide in it is that it shapes our love. It shapes our love. It shapes what we look forward to, what we're marching towards. And we live in a place where that can be that can be misidentified a thousand different ways. The things that my heart latches onto and wants and wants to go towards. And all of it is away from him. God's word reorients me around the kingdom. That's what I want. I want him. I want to be brought all the way back to him. I want to know him completely. I want to be fully known by him. And with my eyes there, as the word continues to adjust my focus there, that's where my steps begin to go because that is what I love. We live in a place where there are a lot of people with converted brains yet continue on with unconverted hearts. And it's the word that converts our hearts. You see, our response is not duty. It's not duty. Our response is love, delight, affection by what we see in God's word. It's love and delight and affection. It leads me to want to honor him, not just obey him. To honor him, to live in light of what I know is true and real as I grow to know him. We delight in his word because his word reveals life to us. Do we delight in God's word that way? Finally, number four. Fourth response. We should respond with sober hope. Sober hope. Verses 175 through 176. Let my soul live and praise you. And let your rules help me. This idea of my soul. Do you see how that contrasts from the beginning of the psalm or beginning of the stanza? The beginning of the stanza was let my cry, let my plea. And now towards the end of the stanza, it's let my soul. This soul is a picture of all of us. It's my whole being, my whole self. Let my soul live and praise you. Lord, don't let me become compartmentalized where you are just an aspect of my day, an aspect of my love, an aspect of my thought. Let my soul live and praise you. That's the desire of the psalmist. My soul live and praise you. Psalm 119.7, the psalmist writes, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. With this Soul posture towards God. Look at what it leads him to do. It leads him into a time of confession. As his soul is postured towards the Lord, as he desires to know him, as he desires to experience the completion of the salvation that he has in him, it is followed with this word of confession. Look what he says. Verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I don't know about you, but if I'm reading down through this, I get to this verse and I'm like, what, what just happened? Where did this come from? He just went this way. What in the world is he doing? After all that has been said, after all of this confidence in God's word, after all of this 
spilled out knowledge of God's word as he has faithfully pursued knowing God, there is this confession that I have strayed like a lost sheep. You see, this is a cry from a broken spirit, not a picture of falling away. He's not falling away from the Lord. He's just confronted with his own sinfulness in light of the holiness of God as presented in his word. And as Gerald challenged us a few weeks ago, we should always read the Bible as a mirror first into ourselves. And this is what the psalmist is doing. After all of this that he has said about the word, he's just overcome by his own sinfulness in light of its goodness. This is very similar to what we see in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. If you remember that word blessed there is not a re, uh, it's not a reward. You're not blessed if you do this. It's a disposition. And because the psalmist's disposition is towards the Lord, is for his word, his disposition is also poor in spirit. He's mourning over his own sin as he is confronted with the goodness of God's word. That's what happens. We are confronted with it. But notice what he says. Seek your servant. You see, even in brokenness over sin, we can have confidence in his redemption. Isn't that beautiful? Even in the brokenness of our sin, we can have confidence in his redemption. Listen to Psalm 57, 3. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Even when we confess, we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our confession is in light of his goodness, in light of what he has already done, in light of our security in him, in light of what he will complete in us. His word confronts that and we confess it and we come into deeper knowing with him. Even in our brokenness over sin, we can have joy in his faithfulness and in his salvation. So we must respond to these truths with dual understanding that doesn't, it's hard to make sense. First, we should be resolved to walk in accordance with God's will. I don't think it's in vain that we go back and write all these summary statements of how we want to respond to God's word, how we want to resolve to do these things. But we recognize that we can't do it within ourselves, can we? So the dual part, the second part is, although we are moving towards God's telos for us, although we are moving towards God's end for us, God's completion for us, we are not there yet. And that is what keeps pressing us back into the word. The psalmist says, for I do not forget your commandments. I love this. One commentator writes this. One who has drunk deeply of this grace will not easily forget God's commandments. One who has drunk deeply. How deeply are we drinking? The psalmist write back in, writes back in verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. There's a recognition here that God will bring us all the way home. And his word reminds us of that. You know, back B.C., before Corona, before COVID, I had gotten to the place in my life where I was maybe more healthy than I'd ever been. 
I was exercising regularly, had a good regimen going, feeling really good, feeling better than maybe I ever have. And COVID came and the gym closed and I got lazy. Um, I know none of you can sympathize with that, but um, kind of fell out of those, fell out of those um, habits, fell out of that rhythm. And um, a recent doctor's visit has quickly put me back on track or trying to get back on track. And so I'm trying to get back into shape by running again. And running is hard for me. I know it comes easy for some. It's hard for me. It is, it is not so much the cardio portion of my legs just give me hard fits. It's very, very hard. And so it takes me a while to kind of build up that tolerance, to build up to where I can run long stretches. And so for the past few weeks, I have been trying to build that back up. Um, and the way that I'm doing that is I live on a circle. So um, I have figured out that from my driveway around to another driveway on the other side of the circle is exactly a quarter of a mile. So what I'm trying to do right now is um, walk as fast as I can, the quarter mile, and then run back, walk, run back. And I'm trying to do two miles like that and trying to build up my endurance. So the walking is one thing, but the running is hard. It is hard. okay? and it is getting some better, but it is still very hard for me. And even when I can get to run long distance, it's still very hard. But right now it's just hard. And running that quarter of a mile is hard, especially the third or fourth time that I've done it. And so yesterday I had one of the hardest days I think I've ever had. I was just I was just confronted by my sin all day. In the way that I wanted to respond to situations around me, it's a a hard day. And I decided I wanted to run anyway because I'd missed a couple of days for Thanksgiving, but I decided I needed it. So I put my shoes on and I went outside and I started the regimen, you know, and the first one was actually surprisingly a little bit easy. The second one got a little bit harder. The third one was really hard. And I was only about halfway through and I noticed something this time that I was running, something that I was doing and I didn't even realize that I was doing. And it is this. I can't see around that circle to see the sign in my yard that I know is the finish line for me to, to stop running. But I can see a gray house about halfway through. And when I see the gray house, it's a reminder to me that I can make it. It's, it's going to be there. And so I've noticed about myself that I start leaning in to see that gray house because I'm hurting. And every step is, is, is just hard. And so I start leaning around to see through the trees, you know, and it's kind of helping that all the leaves are falling because now I can see it a little bit sooner through the trees. But I know that when I see that gray house, all of a sudden I, I get a second wind You know, it encourages me to know that it's right around the corner. I'm almost there and I can usually finish if that's the case. And I want to stop so bad, but it helps me to finish. And yesterday, as I'm thinking through the sermon notes, as I'm thinking through this passage, I'm thinking about how to wrap this this up. I'm all of a sudden confronted with my own sinfulness throughout the day. And I notice that I'm looking for this house. To give me the second wind that I need to be able to put a little bit more into it to get that second wind, to get around, to get to the finish that I can't see. And it hit me in that moment. This is how God's word is for us. We can't see the completion, can we? We can't see the end. But we're assured of it in Christ. And although I can't see the end, When life is bearing down on me and it's hard, what am I leaning into? 
Do I lean into God's word with as much vigor as I'm leaning into seeing this house to finish my run? And when I lean into God's word, I'm confronted again with all of the promises of his word. And it reminds me that he will finish what he has began. And where my sin wants to indict me and where my sin wants to tear me down and destroy me in that moment. I'm reminded that I'm his. I'm in his grip. How good is God's word. Brothers and sisters, let's be people of God's word. It is his good gift to us wherein he reveals himself to us. He meets us there to teach us. The spirit works in it to change us. Oh, that we would be consumed with his word because we are consumed with passion for him. To know him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do that in us. Thank you for the reminder of your word through this study that we are completely dependent on you. Thank you for this study. It's reminded us time and time again of who you are and how your word presents you and helps us to know you so that we can respond in enduring praise to you. Enduring praise for this great gospel that is ours in Christ that has redeemed us and reconciled us to you. Lord, thank you for the reminder that we need to have humble affection for your word. It's not enough just to know it cognitively in our minds. But Lord, I pray that we would be people who seek to embody it, to live it out. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that are in your word. Thank you for all of those promises that the yes is found in Christ and he has accomplished it all and it is finished. And in salvation, you have reconciled us to yourself through him, but you have also united us with him and you have given us your spirit and your word instructs us even in that. It reminds us of this plan that you are weaving together, Father, and it helps us to make light of our story as we understand it in light of yours. God, I pray that we would be people of your word. Help us to respond, but God, help us not just to respond with resolve. Resolve is good, but we also need to have acknowledgement that we need you. So God, thank you for the way that this study has been fruitful in our lives. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for the reminder today that you will complete what you have started. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.